Right, so hello, hi, hello Beth. Um, so great to have you here. My name is Lucy Lynch and I'm Head of Education at Ethan Smith Group. I'm welcoming Beth Burrows, who is COO of HACE. Um, and as she could tell you a little bit more about that and the amazing work that they're doing um, towards prevention of child labour across the world. Um, so this is our amazing podcast, which is called Behind the Data, and this series is about the future of work. So um, I'll let Beth introduce herself and then we can go from there. Hi, everyone. Hi, Lucy. It's great to be here. Um, so as Lucy mentioned, I'm the COO of HACE and we, um, we use data and AI to score company performance on child labour in supply chains um, and we can talk about the definition of child labour and what that really means um, if you'd like sometimes it can be a little bit confusing or people um, don't always know exactly what it means I definitely didn't when I started at HACE um, so I started three years ago I kind of went through a bit of a weird career path through HACE. Um, we are a startup, so relatively small, and I think that's a big reason why um, that strange path happened. But I started as a volunteer or intern <clears throat> looking at social science research, data research, um, various different areas across um, root causes of child labour. So what are the driving forces? behind um, a specific child's situation and why they in child labour. Um, so that's where I started. I then became the Bangladesh country manager um, and then moved on to head of data. And around that time, the company kind of pivoted with our new product, which is the child labour index. And that's where we started scoring company performance on child labour. And the reason for that pivot was because we wanted to involve more um, stakeholder groups. So this is aimed at investors, um, asset owners, banks, anyone in the kind of financial services, financial markets area, uh, so they can understand what's going on in their portfolio of companies, uh, what's going on in their child labor in their supply chains. Um, and hopefully that will help us to leverage the kind of power and influence that investors have and encourage companies to really make some meaningful change. So around that time that we pivoted to the child labour index, I moved from the data function to um, operations. So I'm now the COO. And uh, that means that I cover loads of different areas because as I said, we're a startup, we're still quite small. Um, so anything from PR, marketing, product development, HR, um, all of those things, basically the day-to-day -day running. Um, so yeah, that's me. Wow, amazing! And what I really, what I really, I mean, I've been working with you, you know, personally for well over a year now, and you've been very kindly, you know, supportive of the the nurture program, and had an abundance of data science students from some university of Salford, um, working on some great and very compelling projects over the last sort of like twelve months, uh, probably almost like eighteen months now, which has been you know outstanding, and giving them some real life industry knowledge before they graduate. So 
you know you know i'm very very grateful for for that input which has been great um for the program and you know with that you know that the whole point you know of my series about the future of work is really just wanting to hear from different generations of people about what the future of work looks like what does that mean to people why are people compelled to get up out of bed in the morning like you know people from you know from from my position like you know I've got two kids and more kids like I know what that looks like and you know but definitely you know I had like a bit of a squiggly career you know as an actress and as a teacher I worked in retail an account manager manager of recruitment um done like 10 million things and now you know in the middle of this fourth industrial revolution you know working with academics and industry never thought when I was at university I would have a job like this and I kind of created it a little bit and had lots of flexibility lots of autonomy and you know from doing this podcast and talking to different people I've kind of seen that there's actually quite a familiar theme emerging from these conversations where it seems to be that people are very interested to work for companies or build their own companies where they feel there is a, a need and uh, a gap in the market, but not just from a commercial sense to kind of like, you know, make a quick buck. Um, it's very much about a long term game of how can we influence things and how can we break down barriers? And I guess they're the people that I'm I seem to just sort of like be a bit of a magnet too and just go, wow, I'm just really interested to hear those stories because it makes me think the world could become, you know, a richer place in terms of what people want to contribute, but the different ways that they go about doing that. So um, I know that you've had, I think you were saying in a different conversation with me that, you know, when you were, when you were at university, you were thinking, about maybe traveling abroad and working in a very different space. Tell me about, about that. Yes, so my undergraduate degree was in biology with a focus on ecology and zoology. Um, and during that, like we did loads of field trips, a um, lot of animal conservation, really cool places. And obviously, you know, that's what I wanted to do for a career because I'd had all these amazing experiences. Um, and then I graduated right at the start of COVID. So in that June, as COVID started, and obviously those jobs with that, you know, are built around travel kind of dried up immediately. And they're already very, very competitive. Um, you need all this experience, a lot of different um, hard skills, technical skills, which I just hadn't fully, you know, been able to experience. And then I happened across HACE, the internship that I started. Um, so I, I'd had a bit of a taste of like um, using quantitative data in biology for things like um, ecology and conservation. Um, a little bit of coding, all of those kind of research methods. So I really enjoyed that bit. And then obviously Hayes kind of combines a social science like um, child labour, human rights with much more quantitative aspects. So that's what drew me to it. Um, I started there and then 
realized I really liked that human aspect that I'd never mm-hmm. really appreciated at university I was always very animal driven um so then I started my master's part-time which was in global urban development and planning which is a bit of a mouthful but it's basically um thinking about how we can look at urban planning through the lens of ensuring that everyone in that urban area or you know in a location we looked at rural areas too really um can benefit from the development of a city um often we see like city development happening and marginalized groups just becoming more marginalized um so that kind of fed in a little bit to haste i well i made my thesis link to haste because Mm -hmm. i was looking at human rights um with forced evictions and informal settlements um so yeah kind of all the three of them like biology urban planning and child labor somehow kind of all fit together a little bit but it's quite a quite a strange combination yeah and i think you know the thing that i really love to engage with people about is that sometimes you think you know when you're when you're really young and you're starting out like uh, you know how did someone get to that that place and I think it's really important to have those conversations to just open it out there and just say there are lots of different ways to travel and it doesn't have to be a linear progression right you know how how we also used to think and I think the world is changing and and you know moving so quickly that I think also, you know, obviously, you know, working with Eden Smith Group, you know, partly, you know, a, a staffing business as well. And so wanted to kind of really think about when people are looking for jobs, like, you know, what are their motivations? What do they find? And also what do companies want, you know, from people joining their business? So that also, I know that you're not hiring at the moment, but it's like in your ideal world, you know, how do you, or maybe you've not had time to think about this because you're just in position as COO quite recently, but have you have you had sort of like thoughts about how you'll engage with, you know, people, like, you know, how what does job description, even things like that, will they be out, outdated and become kind of null and void? Like, what, what about those kind of things? Have you thought about that stuff? Um, yes because we you know we've gone through various iterations of how we're going to expand if and when we get to that Mm -hmm. stage um so we've been thinking about recruitment for a while and um job descriptions are obviously one huge area there's a lot of again um further exclusion of already marginalized groups um through you know we've heard a lot about language used in job descriptions Um, excluding women for example Mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot to do there if we want to go down that route then it's a lot of um, effort that we're more than happy to put in but we want to the beauty of a startup is that you can do things for the first time and make sure that you get them right and whether we actually do get them right or not is obviously a, a question for a later date but um thinking about making really intentional decisions and how they can possibly affect whoever we're you know our target audience is 
we really try and work a lot on that. So, you know, who is the best person to be writing our job descriptions, for example, um, and then quality checking them. We don't want just one person looking at them. We want a range of people, um, all of these things. So if we went down that route, it is one, one way to go. But I think what we've looked at for potential recruitment is really um, based on our network. Mm-hmm. We rarely put out, you know, even if we're doing like a a volunteer role when we when we used to do them right at the start, like it was it was all very network based and people had heard of us because they're in that sphere anyway, like looking at content online about human rights and would often just reach out to us and want to work with us. And I think that is something that comes from being a mission driven organization is that you aren't necessarily struggling as much for a talent pipeline yeah um so we we tend to have enough applicants and that means that we are obviously incredibly lucky and we can really um focus on what skills we want to look for um so we really focus on uh social science qualitative skills um critical analysis skills looking at something and not taking it for face value um and then the technical you know data skills while they're you know really valuable and we do need them as well um, we can develop those throughout the kind of training process so yeah it's not as as easy sometimes or as straightforward as just hiring for you know a data engineer yeah it's a lot more around kind of the softer or more qualitative skills as well yeah and and that's really interesting and like so you know like obviously we had if we look at you know doing the nurture program you had lots of applicants and you did lots of interviews and then I remember like you know phoned you in and said you know you like the there three or four people and they were like your first choice people and they've all said yes and you were just like literally going oh my god that's so amazing that's so great and we just can't wait and and it's like you know getting that buy-in you know creating those relationships so we talk about networking and relationship building we talk about our brand you know all of those things that sometimes you think with companies you know are they spending that time you know in the right place you know, and putting their resources in the right places. And I think that really speaks for itself. You know, it's about people wanting to work for companies where they've got a purpose, they they know what they're doing or what they're, they're, the end, um, I guess, remit of their, of their job is. Um, but finding a way where they feel purposeful, you know, and feel, you know, kind of valued. Um, and I think... Um, I was just like thinking about, you know, um, there was, I'm saying the name, but it was just somebody on on LinkedIn and they they were posting that they were looking for people and they said, actually, we never, we never do job applications. You know, we don't even need a CV. We just, you know, we just want you to tell us about you. You know, you can do that in any form, if it's a video or it's this or it's that, whatever you want to do. And I always thought, you know companies or you know startups usually startups that will be like you've got a cool product 
that someone wants. You've already got the hook and people buy into that, right? It's almost like watching an advert and you go, ah, oh, really want to work for them. I always wanted to work for IKEA because I just like love the stuff and just thought, oh, that's great. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's not the best example. But anyway, I'll just give you that as a as a thing anyway. But it's like, um, I think, you know, if you've got a company that's doing something great, then I think you're far more likely to get great applicants, right? But they'll come in organically. And I think um, that's also, you know, part of the um, part of the training that I offer to my nurture students is this real emphasis on building your own brand on social media platforms, because you never know where, you know, you're going to grow at an exponential sort of like rate, you know, and it's like the world of technology is moving so quickly that, you know, you could start off at a humble graduate like yourself, you know, a couple of years ago and now or three years ago. And now look at you like you're you're there, you know, and, and it's incredible. And I know, obviously, you've worked extremely hard and diligently and long hours and put in all the graph to get there. And obviously, I know Eleanor and, you know, you're obviously a great combined team you know, like a force to be reckoned with. And so it's super energising working with you. And I think people that come into contact with you as well kind of take a hit at that energy and go, yeah, I really want to be part of that. And I think, you know, from a from a kind of directive level, you know, like future of work, you know, just wanting to, if any of our audience are listening about what things you want to bear in mind, you know, for attracting talent, you know, and... How does that how does that equate to getting good quality people that don't don't also just jump ship, you know, at the at the first at the first offer? Because, you know, if you're working in business and you spend so much time also training them, inducting them, getting them into that. And then maybe three months later, they get a better offer. And then I think, oh, and you think it's such a, a not a waste, but there's a, there's a lot of money and a lot of resource, time, energy that's then just having to start again. How do you think also people, companies can retain talent? Yeah, I think um, that's a great point and something that I hear a lot. People, especially tech companies, are struggling with the retention rather than the attraction. Um, something like, again, a startup is very difficult because you're nowhere near as stable as a larger organization. So job stability isn't always something that you can offer um, for retention. So we try and think about really positive alternative ways that we can um, encourage retention so we work a lot on our kind of employee benefits um, in quite a collaborative way so they're as flexible as we can make them um, tailor them to each individual person again it's kind of that side of it is easier in a startup because there's only yeah. a few of you um, so that's really nice it's a part of my job that I really love um, and generally making someone feel valued so the way a lot of people in my network in, over the last three years before Hayes got funding and, you know, a little bit more established in the market, if you've not worked in a startup, it's quite difficult to understand why you would work in a startup because mm -hmm. um, it just seems like 
instability and like you know um working too many hours all of these things but once you're in it and you feel the value of um of your own you know your could be 50% of a business and that really does if you've got the right mentor and the right employer or the right founder it can really add so much value personally I stayed at Hace because Eleanor who's the CEO had I don't know how she had faith in me but she did um, because I didn't this is my first like corporate job as I said I was straight out of uni so I didn't have any work experience apart from retail and hospitality and like volunteering um but like just giving someone a chance to um do a task that you know they don't have experience with they might end up doing it wrong um and pushing them a little bit out of their comfort zone um is how I grew and the reason that I wanted to stay because every single day was different people say that all the time but um it really was and still is um, yeah and I also I can kind of choose my own I can find things that I'm interested in and you know I can propose this is a valuable thing that we should be doing for the company and I can do it I can teach myself to do it and I can bring that value to the company um and that's like immediate gratification mm-hmm. um and you can see the change that you're making in the company every day because like I said it could be half of the business um so all of those things I think make up for me anyway they made up for the relative instability of the job um but it's really not for everyone and yeah I think it sometimes it takes working in that environment to realize that it isn't for you or it is for you so maybe that's you know another reason why um like employee turnover in a startup can be quite high but yeah I would recommend it to anyone that is curious because it's a lot of fun yeah definitely and I think maybe it's a bit like Marmite right you either love it or hate it and I'd always I'd worked for you know charities and corporate um before and then and then I went to a startup and I'd never done it and then I was like oh my god and then building a business in a business never done that before and then you're like wearing lots of different hats and lots of things keeping you up at night worrying about stuff or thinking about stuff and oh my god um but I think I just learned so much more than I ever would have if I'd stayed in corporate life um because this for me definitely I feel like there's a a sheer strength of creativity that just you can just unleash and it's like you there's the power to like say uh, like have a yes day like you know within reason and you know our CFO would be like probably not no Lucy and and you know I learned some great things like you know from you know the CEO of like Eden Smith like not every great not every idea you've got is is a great idea you know learning to kind of really fine-tune those and go just because you thought it doesn't mean it's going to work or it's going to be a good idea you know having this safe space to pitch stuff and you know go okay yeah that's not going to work right now or the time is not right or it's just not the right product to take to that market but 
you know, being able to be in a space where you can get that feedback and then just go back to the drawing board. And I think you're right, it's the thing about resilience as well, about being able to kind of be battered down a bit, but then come back up and being held in a space where you can do that. And it's okay, you know, this whole thing, this expression of like failing forward, right? And fail fast or whatever, and day one and all these little things that we tell ourselves, yeah, we're gonna do this. But, but basically I think scrap all that, it's really just about, <laughs> I know Steve Jobs would probably hate me, but it's like <laughs> yeah, ruined his book. But it's like, but but you know, um, what I think is that you just you, I think working for a startup, it's like having a really deep anchor, right? And you and you believe it, and you get pulled in different directions, and you've got a focus, you've got your north star, and you know, and you just have to kind of go with the ebb and flow right and there are there are lots of ebbs right that kind of make you want to you know like stop but then to be able to restart you know relearn this whole thing of learning unlearning relearning I think that's like startup magic because if you you can just tap into that and that's also another big thing that I really try and teach the students about about that but you only get that by having that opportunity and having that space to do that. And, um, you know, we're talking about resilience and um, and strength, and I know that you did something quite amazing. We're gonna end it very soon, our little podcast, but you did do, you did the actual marathon, the Manchester Marathon. Oh, and goodness. just wanted to give a shout out to the charity that you did that for, and it was just incredible. So just tell me about that. Yes, so for some unknown reason, um, before I could ever run for even a mile, I um, signed up for the Manchester Marathon, which was a few months ago, um, and it went surprisingly well. Um, but I ran for a charity called Wood Street Mission. They are based in Manchester. Well, they cover Manchester and Salford, but they're based in central Manchester. Um, and their model, it's like a food bank model, but for um, school uniform, school supplies, um, toys, bedding, general clothing, books. Um, the way they work is really very like child focused. So they work a lot on how to deliver the services without making children feel singled out in school. Um, for, for example, for being from a low income, family which is something that I often found at school you know you'd be singled out of class and be like Beth can you come and attend this you know charity event because you're from a low-income family out in front of everyone like um, it's just the thought that they put in to how they um, offer these services is, is really it's just amazing um, and they've been going for over I think over 150 years wow which is crazy and they recently told me a very nice story that um in the war in the second world war there were these two children that got separated um and they individually started going to this um, I think then they did food as well food bank supplies like they'd been separated in evacuation or something like this they both went and um, then went back to thank the uh, 
Wood Street Mission like 70 years later and ran into each other. No, got these pimples. Oh yeah. my God, how nice. So yeah, they're really like well established in the community, but relatively small. And if anyone needs or wants someone to fundraise for, they are a great mm. option. Amazing. That's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much for um, being with us today and uh, talking about my company, Hayes. And we're just super delighted to be partnering with you and helping you and working with you on, on your journey um, and the wonderful work that you're doing and the support for the Nurture Programme. So thank you very much, uh, Beth. 